Welcome to episode three of Painting the Corners, the baseball and international affairs podcast. Before we get started, I have some exciting news. My new book, Will Big League Baseball Survive? Globalization, the End of Television, Youth Sports, and the Future of Major League Baseball is now available for pre-order. You can get it at Amazon, Powell's, and most other online booksellers. You can also buy it directly from Temple University Press. I'm very excited to bring you this week's episode of Painting the Corners. When I started this podcast, really only a few weeks ago, I hoped it would be a place where I could do things like bring a veteran Georgian diplomat and a baseball lifer together to talk about their work and interest. That is what we are doing today. Tedo Japariza is an eminence grise of Georgian foreign policy. He has been foreign minister, national security advisor, ambassador to the United States, and is now chair of the Foreign Relations Committee of the Parliament. He is also a big sports fan who frankly remains baffled by baseball, but has a long and deep interest in American life and culture. Frank Casanelli has been coaching high school baseball in San Francisco for 40 years. He has coached public schools, independent school, and Catholic school. He is also a devoted Giants fan who has not been enjoying the second half of the season. I am pleased to bring Frank onto the show because people like him really are part of the fabric of baseball in America. And they don't always have their voices heard, so perhaps this is an opportunity for Frank to do that, and hopefully we'll have more people like him on in the future. A couple of notes on this episode before we start. Both Frank and Teddo are big basketball guys, so there's some talk about that. I don't know a lot about basketball, so I kind of let them run with that. Also, we recorded this a few blocks from the University of San Francisco, and Frank refers to that at some point. He says something like, up the hill or over there, and that's what he's talking about. Also, before we began, Frank presented Teddo with an official big league baseball, and there's a comment or two about that in the podcast as well. Teddo spent much of the podcast, you know, tossing the ball up and down and, and practicing gripping it. A few logistical notes. This podcast is now available on iTunes and Stitcher, so if you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate and review us there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Lincoln Mitchell. I'm on Instagram at Lincoln A. Mitchell. You can also visit my website, www.lincolnmitchell.com. If you want to reach me about the podcast or speaking or anything like that, I'm Lincoln at lincolnmitchell.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ted and Frank as much as I did. So, Teddo and Frank, it's great to have you here in San Francisco for this discussion for episode three of Painting the Corners. And as I said in the introduction, both of you have spent a long time in your chosen field. Teddo as a diplomat and working in foreign affairs, and Frank working in baseball, youth baseball, for, for many, many years. And I want to hear a little bit about more about what you do, what you've done in, in baseball and international affairs, and, how it, and what drew you to the field initially. So whoever wants to begin, feel free. Go ahead. Uh... Thank you very much for this, for a Georgian unique opportunity to, to connect, you know, to try to connect this great American sport, baseball, and some very vibrant, you know, political game, which is Georgian diplomacy. So thank you, Lincoln, for this opportunity, and I can... What I can tell you is that I have, I tried, I did my best, being in diplomacy and being ambassador of Georgia to the United States for eight years and traveling a lot to the United States and watching a lot, you know, baseball on TV, but I have no idea about that game. It's exciting because a lot of people watching that, and but it's even hard to me to understand the basic rules this or that, but again, uh, I try to look at this game from my own profession, which is, you know, diplomacy, and as I said, it's really exciting, because like Georgian diplomacy and diplomacy in general is kind of a game, sort of a game. 
in which you know you should win, you should defeat your opponent, but try to do that in a decent, at least you know, it's my, my motto, to do that in a decent, you know, just you know, civilized in a way, which is not easy always. So from this inner you know, perspective, of course, you know, what I learned and being, you know, a long-time student of American politics, you know, since the, I can say, since the last, you know, century of the early 90s, uh, it's part of American life, it's kind of religion, as I understood, watching people in different, you know, occasions, watching baseball game here and there. Uh, which and I can I, I can quite easily I would say despite the fact that I do not understand it full scope but I can say that it looks like you know diplomacy looks like you know this political dialogue trying to persuade. Were were you attracted to the far, to international affairs to the foreign service because of a competitive instinct because of a sports as you talk about the role that. The analogy you're trying to make, was that something that drew you in, or did you get into it another way? Uh, it was just, uh, let's call it as far as I use, you know, this word, instincts. It was just kind of a basic Georgian instinct. It was about, you know, helping my country to navigate from this, you know, ugly Soviet empire towards unknown, what you call here, you know, democracy, in which Georgia still needs to approach, accomplish agenda. And it's like in baseball, I just, having said that I do not know well what baseball is about, it's like pitching, you know, you need to pitch, make good pitch, and deliver, you know. We'll work on that grip, right? Yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, so, I think in this regard, uh, these were just basic instincts that made me to, I usually call it, nest of scorpions, which is, you know, diplomacy. But, but specifically, you no know, diplomacy in the post-Soviet space, but again, it was just about to work for my own country, to help country to navigate from one state of affairs into some, something, you know, which is really, you know, fascinating, but still a long way to go. So, Frank, now that you've been charged both with showing Teto how to throw the Major League Baseball and explaining baseball along with me to Teto, tell me a little bit about your career in baseball what drew you to it? How, what you you know? How you've been sure. involved over the years? Well, I was introduced to the game by my dad. Uh, my dad uh, was a blue collar guy. He played back in I guess the twenties and the thirties, semi pro in the city where they had a lot of semi pro teams. And then uh, I guess I was about maybe eight, seven, and he took me to my first game. And that was the Seals game, the Seal Stadium. We just pause here because not everyone knows the history of San Francisco baseball, right. perhaps the way you do. You want to explain who the Seals were? The Seals were, uh, I don't want to say a minor league team, but they weren't a major league team uh, uh, that played on the West Coast. And uh, they were quite quite good. The DiMaggio's, Joe and his brother Tom, and the other guy played. And uh, uh, it was a very good league. And in 58, when the Giants came to town, the Seals moved out and the Giants took over. Well, in 1958, when the Giants moved to town, I absolutely fell in love with the game. And I started playing in grammar school and middle school and 
I got better through the years in high school and college, and I met a lot of nice people, very a lot, a lot of interesting people. And uh, I wasn't good enough to play pro ball, so I did the next best thing. I became a PE major and a rec major. And that tied me into working with youth, young adults, and still had that connection with the game of baseball and basketball. And I, uh, I found out that I could really make an impression on the youth of San Francisco by coaching. And this last, this last season at John O'Connell, I've had two young men that live off of 3rd and Kalu in the Bayview, very rough area of town. And both came from uh, single-parent families, struggling. These kids were great kids, good ball players. And we got them away from the environment where they're now playing baseball at the Butte Junior College hmm. by Chico. And uh, that's, that's why I do this. Quite, quite satisfying. It's great, if I, if I may, because what Frank just, you know, talked to us about, it looks like also, you know, teaching kids, you know, how to play, and it's not only how to play baseball, but also how to become, you know, normal, decent, you know, citizens of uh, the United States of America. It, it was the same kind of, you know, game, you know, to navigating, teaching. Sure country of Georgia from becoming a Pope Soviet, which used to be Soviet Republic, among, you know, 15 others, to become a, uh, a normal functioning, you know, democratic state. And we, I always say that we look like toddlers, you know, making first steps in this very, as we understand, you know, long, long way. But again, like a friend, you know, taught people and kids so we, those who are just more or less, you know, familiar within diplomacy or just, you know, some political knowledge we had, you know, earlier, just to, to help our own young, independent, you know, state to make, you know, first steps uh, and to, to, it's not only about becoming, being independent, but being also in a civilized, you know, small, tiny component in this huge and diverse, you know, global affairs. Kind of looks like you know teaching baseball. Yes, you're, you're right. You know when you're coaching, you're dealing with a lot of individual personalities, and uh, you have to be a diplomat to a certain extent, yeah, or a psychologist, <laughs> or both, or both, or a tyrant at times. <laughs> but uh, you're dealing with a lot of uh, different personalities, a lot of different backgrounds, and you're making these individuals work as a team for one goal. And uh, diplomacy plays a big part of it. It's very important to know to make to make individuals even talented or not talented, you know, but to play as a team. It's also part of you know Georgia's political life mm -hmm. because we Georgians we are not accustomed to this kind of you know games and there's even saying go, going on that 
there is you know, two Georgians, there are three political parties, maybe four. So to, to learn this you know, team, team game that you, know, you, you accomplish more if you are unified, if you all act you know, in unison as a team and follow good advice or coach, it really no matters. So and interestingly, Georgians do play team sports. They don't. They, they don't play baseball much, but it's not. It's a, they play soccer. They play rugby. As we know, they play basketball. Mm-hmm. So it's and Georgians, you know, sing, and which is choral, unique in you know, experience choral, because choral. choral and Georgians sing. You know, we have you know polyphony. And while we are just you know individual in politics, you know, Georgians can sing. You know, there are how many? Seven. Georgians can in unison, but play different, you know, just, I don't know, in English, exact musical terminology. Yeah, this is a podcast about yeah. baseball and international yeah. affairs. You have to go to the Music and International Affairs yeah. podcast yeah. for the yeah, answer again, to that question. Yeah, but again, that's how important, you know, just, again, team, team approach, you know. Well, you have a, a major goal, and uh, in order to reach this goal, you just can't reach it right away. You have to take baby steps. Before you stand up, you have to crawl, and then you stand up, and then you walk. And before long, you'll start running. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I know a few people from the old Soviet Union. I, I teach a water aerobics class, and uh, I have a lot of, uh, I guess, Georgians and other people from the old Soviet bloc in there. They tell me how freedom now is, is new to them. And they have, of course, growing pains. So this is what I think you're facing. I agree. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, well, I would love this to happen overnight because we have one life. <laughs> we want to accomplish, you know, many things. But you know, and again, what makes me you know more or less comfortable to know that democracy is a process never ending and. Uh, process of perfection and you need to make in your country on a daily basis better than it used to be and then let the next generation well the United States is still going through that obviously <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, I would not comment on you know, yeah, I, you, I can <laughs> yeah, you can anybody I'm can. a voter <laughs> you can too yeah that's part of the beauty of this country yes, yes, um, I want to maybe on a maybe I was gonna say it, if possible on a less cheery note um, I want to ask Frank a question sure. that is on the minds of a lot of baseball people in San Francisco, which is what happened to the Giants in the second half? And I'm asking you because I think you're one of the people whose opinions I would value the most on this on this depressing topic. And and for those of you who may not uh, may be listening in Georgia, the Giants were in first place at half at the halfway point of the All Star break and are now That's fighting for the baseball. last playoff yeah. spot and have seemed to have a collapse of historical portions. What do you think happened? Well, it wasn't a Duffy curse. Let's get that out of the way right now. Um, I, I think this began before the season started. Uh, I think in the first half, we were lucky. Uh, we had a few key injuries, Pence, Panic, so on. And, but the young guys they brought up, they were playing well. But young guys only play well for a certain amount of time. Uh, this began, like I said, at the beginning of the season by, I, I think, the Giants not addressing their, their needs. And by, by wishing and hoping PV and Kane would be a four and five, I was wishing and hoping. They didn't take a real serious look at what possibilities could happen. 
the Giants not addressing their bullpen issues. And they had issues. Oh. I mean, Athelt uh, leaving Casilla as a, as a closer was, was shaky at best last year. Right. Would you have, on July 1st, when they were in first place, would you have said, I want to go into the postseason with Casilla as the closer? No. No, of course not. No. But I, I, I didn't want him to go in April opening first. day. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the lack of a power hitter. I mean, all these teams have guys that hit 20, uh, 30, 35, 40 home runs. Chicago has a dozen of these guys in the balls. I mean, we're lucky if we're going to get one guy to hit 20 home runs this year. And let me ask you a question about this, because this is something that I always find, it seems to me to be very straightforward, right? If you don't have a power hitter, you're down two or three runs, and it feels like the game's over. That's how you get back in the game. Right. They don't jump in at any point if you have some thoughts on this. But, but what struck me is that what really, where to me that began, and it's a, maybe not an obvious place, at the signing of Denard Spam. Because once you have an outfield of Spam, Pagan, and Pence, you're seeding, you're saying, my starting outfield, if they're all, if they're all healthy, will hit 45 home runs. In a, and a good a power yeah. starting outfield should hit 70. And if you don't think Pagan is good enough to bat center field, play center field and bat leadoff, maybe you should have found a left fielder as well, because shifting my him point. over. My point. Um, the old Bruce Bochy adage, keep the line moving. Well, that's great to a certain extent. But when, once they get in a... And, and hitting is contagious, and so is a slump. And, and Lincoln, how many times this season has the Giants gone into a team slump? Three, four, maybe five times? If Bruce Bochy didn't have the Hall of Fame pedigree, do you think he'd still be, man- do you think he'd still be managing the team right now? No. This is a first-year manager. No, he's gone. If, if I may just, because it's, again, I try to place, you know, whatever your discourse about baseball, you know, into some political context, which is more Georgian political context. Uh, and baseball, at least, you know, even watching just on TV, is quite different from other games, basketball, American football, European soccer, soccer. whatever, you know, just water polo. And uh, I'd like to use, you know, this unique, as I said, you know, earlier opportunity, having Frank here, uh, who taught baseball, my good friend, you know, Lincoln. So what the philosophy, because if we speak about, you know, basketball, it's quite clear to make basketball. In football, in European football, it's, it's go, a goal, yeah, mm-hmm. score goal. And what the philosophy, philosophy of baseball, what the concept of this game, what we need to accomplish. It's not that you know you need to reach you know this base and that base and, uh, but what the idea? Why people are that excited and what makes you know this game number one game? Uh-huh. You're American. laughing because it's a tough question. <laughs> no, you, you know, America's pastime. That's what the, the nickname is. Now, yeah, some people may argue now. Football's American pastime, but American pastime is baseball. It's, it goes from spring to fall. Mm. And there's a couple of reasons why Americans love this game. It's not a fast action game. It's a slow game for the average viewer. But it's a thinking man's game. No, no, why, why is that? 
Uh, you know, for interrupting, now I understand why Georgians cannot you know, play. Right? <laughs> because one, that spoken like a true diplomat, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's slow, and we are just we want this to happen Action, right away. Action, and you know, be to be a smart, it takes us sometimes you know a long way to go, but again, well, there's a lot of strategy in baseball. Uh, it, it depends. What part of the game you're in? If you're in the early part of the game or the late part of the game. If you have a tight game, you want to move the runner along from base to base and put them in scoring position. And again, it's a slow process, but when that process does happen, it's quick. It's very quick. And and baseball is a game where it's a tip of the iceberg kind of thing. To what you're seeing is is a very small part of the story. The guy swings the bat, but you to really fully appreciate why was that pitch thrown? Why was that batter up there then? Why wasn't the second baseman in a position to make that play? So it's a game that gets the more you know. People ask me if I if I know a lot about baseball. I've taken to say I'm trying to learn, you know, because I spent a lifetime studying the game, but I'm just trying to learn more. Yeah. You you learn it's there's a depth to it that and it, and as I think Frank suggested, it comes from another America. You know, it's hard to imagine baseball gaining the popularity it did in the age of Twitter and the television. Stuff. Right. You know, it's a different. So again, you know, baseball, whatever you are just talking with each other and trying to explain to me, looks like, again, you know, I put it in my own context, like state building. You build different, you know, strategies, different, you know, in different parts of the game. You are slow. You need to be slow. It's not because you are slow. You and there are moments when you need to be yeah, very fast. And you need to, you know, react and you, you need be very to be aggressive, you know, right? Very fast. And I mean, sometimes I remember, you know, in in baseball, sometimes the best throw you make is the one you don't make, right? Oh, you know, sometimes, sometimes not swinging the bat is really the right thing to do, and that's a different mentality than, say, football. Right? Football, yeah. you need to have adrenaline coursing through your veins for ninety minutes. Baseball, right. you can't play baseball that way. By the way, you same in the politics. You know. Yeah, sometimes you need. So you just have to wait. To make, you know, just I mean, if, if you to make a political analogy, if you look at for all of other his his many many foibles, one of Donald Trump's real political foibles is he never knows when to keep his mouth. Obviously, so. So there are moments when Hillary Clinton says something that ordinarily would be damaging to a candidate, and he doesn't know to keep his mouth shut enough to let the damage sink in, right? So it's that moment where you need to wait. Sometimes you need to attack. Sometimes you need to wait. The same thing in, in baseball or politics. There are some times when in diplomacy you should not comment whatever others speaking about well, right. Hillary and Trump. Right. Yeah. It's your business. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, do you want to add anything about the Giants' historic uh, collapse here? I want to let you have a chance to finish that because it's well, it, it hasn't collapsed. No, yet. they still could. I mean, they still could get the wild card. Y- yesterday, I have to question yesterday. Posey not playing. Oh, are we resting him? What are we resting him for? If we won yesterday, we could have had a leg up on the Cardinals. And then, if you have cinched that one wild card spot, you could rest them then. Well, if you rest them now and you don't make it. Right. The day of rest is right, and, and and that Dodger, those six games against the Dodgers at the end of the year aren't quite as big now, because they're not a race the Dodgers anymore. Actually, yeah, no, they're, sadly. Yeah, sadly, but true. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, the Dodgers are going to win. Yeah, win the division. And a big difference with the Dodgers this year, I think, is Dave Roberts is not Don Mattingly. Oh, night and day. Yeah. And here's another thing: 
Just for our listeners, Don, Dave Roberts is the manager of the Dodgers. Don Mattingly was his predecessor, who was not a great manager, I think we could safely say. The Dodgers won this because they have depth. Their 40-man roster is a lot deeper than our 40-man roster. We went in there with 25 guys, and we didn't care about the other 15. And this is why we're struggling. And, you know, early in the season when Pence got hurt, I think it was Mike Kruko, I was listening to, to their podcast mm-hmm. on the, in New York, and he said now is the time when guys like Williamson and Parker need to step up because That's you right. don't get these opportunities to break through. Yeah, Tomlinson, and Parker, Parker, Williamson, Williamson yeah. and even some of the guys in the bullpen. Law, Strickland, Osage, right. these guys could have nailed down the closers job. Yeah. And, and the reason they didn't is they're just not that as good as the 15th, as you say, the 26 to 40 spot. I think right. that's a very good point. They should play uh, uh, Gorky Henderson more. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully, no knock on Blanco, but hopefully you don't bring Blanco. Right? Blanco's done. I mean, he's uh, contributed he's a lot. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's contributed a lot over Put him on a bus with Casilla. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody will pick him up. So. Yeah. See ya, you know. All right. So, so Ted, I want to change the subject just a little bit because Georgian elections are October 9th. Right, October 8th, and this is a major parliamentary election, and I want to hear your thoughts on what's at stake here, what what you think the outcome will be, what you think the quality of the election has been so far in terms of election fairness. Um, Uh, It's a very interesting question, but just uh, before I forget that, I'd like to just very briefly comment about this dilemma to have a good manager or good player, and how you should, you know, balance that. Because, like in politics, you know, to have a good manager, a good person who is in charge of a country, prime minister, you know, president, who is smart, who makes, who knows when to be slow, when to facilitate, accelerate, to make, you know, quick decision or not to make any decision. It really no matters, and as well as, you know, it matters how civilized and, you know, uh, well, well tuned to this, you know, ideas and agenda of politicians, you know, are citizens, players, you know, because they need to play this game of democracy, which is not easy to play. So, in this regard, I think baseball and, you know, politics, and specifically Georgian politics, I find a lot of, you know, similarities, and... Yes, we would have, you know, parliamentary elections. Georgia is a parliamentary republic, Frank, and, you know, parliament elected, then elects, you know, government and approves of them. It's a long, long kind of, you know, quite vibrant, you know, democratic, you know, process. And so we'll have, you know, parliamentary elections. Again, uh, I represent one party, currently ruling party in Georgia, of course, as representing representative of this party, uh, of course, uh, I wish I, I would love to win, but we don't know. It's about you know this game on on the election day, and it's about you know preference of players whom they would you know elect as their manager or group of managers. But one thing we'd like to assure everybody, including you who are not you know familiar with Georgian politics, is that. Uh, we want to have these elections as fair as possible, as open, as free, and transparent. How long has Georgia been electing your 
So we free elections, free elections we, since the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And while we're talking about democracy, whatever, we'll talk about different other issues. I'd like Americans and those who listen, listening currently to us to keep in mind that we uh, are talking about 25 years young in a free, independent in a state. We were just 25 years ago, we were part of that in yeah, yeah, you're a novice. Yeah, and as you said, it takes you know time. Oh yes. Of course, we want to to become in a shining city on a the hill, but you know it never happens. It takes you know time, hard work, and this election I would like to be one of the decisive you know step, resolute step in the direction for Georgia to become a normal functioning you know democracy in this part of the world, and up to this moment as well. It's not me saying that, being a Georgian, but that's what, you know, other Americans, Europeans, different international organizations, you know, reaffirm that, yes, Georgia, being on the way to become, you know, more democratic, more capable, is, you know, front, is a front-runner, you know, it's number one country, that they call it, you know, an island of you know, stability in this part of the world. you got to realize, too, that your prime minister or our president is only as good as their supporting cast. I thought you were going to say only as good as the people who elect them, and then I was about to shudder in terror. As in, Come on, <laughs> Lee, give me a little credit. It's <laughs> coming down the pike here. <laughs> um, so, Frank, I, w- I want to ask you a question. Thinking, again, going back to this theme of having doing this for a long time, I, I have not... I started playing youth baseball in San Francisco 40-odd years ago and stopped 30-odd years ago. Um, but a lot has changed. And I'm wondering what, how you see youth baseball has changed here, both in terms of who's playing it, some of the challenges that that might raise, the, the structures around youth sports today as compared to you know, 30, 40 years ago. How has that changed and how, does that, how do you experience that? Well, from a coaching standpoint... Uh, it's put us behind the eight ball in San Francisco. Um, a lot of kids are not playing baseball in San Francisco at a young age. Uh, we receive a lot of players coming out at the high school level that don't have basic skills. and um, Simply because they haven't been exposed to the game at an early age or they're not interested you know, the videos, the TV, uh, there's a lot of distractions. I mean, when you were growing up, and God, when I was growing up back in the Stone Age, we didn't have that. Uh, we made our own games, and we played the game. Uh, today, uh, if, if a child's interested in playing baseball, they're going to get uh, on, a, on a special uh, traveling team or uh, get private coaching. Back in the day, we didn't have that. We just kind of met at the playground and played our own games, picked sides and, and made up games if we didn't have enough players for each team. And We played game, uh, catch across the street or, or base runners, which kids call pickle. Or we played steer baseball if we just had two guys and bounced this ball off the steer. Or strikeouts. But you don't see that anymore. It's a very interesting point because I'm a great fan of basketball and 
as Lincoln admitted, we had you know very interesting meeting with our good friend, you know, president of the Warriors, and Georgians admire, they love, I would say, they're crazy about basketball and watching, you know, NBA and their own. We had quite good basketball players. One of them would be playing for Golden State Warriors, you know, this right. season. Zaza Pachulia, very skillful. He's a member of Georgia national team. And but what we in Georgia, Georgians are they love you know sports different and they are quite well qualified. We have you know kind of world celebrities in tennis, European football, soccer, you know, we had a couple of you know NBA players, not too many but still they really matter. And wrestling, judo, Georgians but again, you know, it's uh, it, as in any place, America, Georgia, it's more expensive sports and uh, I was uh, I was reading in the morning you know some some interview because we played very good basketball game national team and we made you know uh, we took you know the first place and we made for the European you know championship Georgia defeated you know different quite strong European you know basketball teams and then you know one commentator journalist says but these are just players like Pachulia but what is, you know, next generation of young Georgian players? And uh, he himself, you know, answered the question posed by him that because basketball in Georgia was, you know, it's easy going. You know, so people, parents used to bring, it was easy to find the coach at school or just there were some, some kind of, you know, groups. And that was, but now it's very expensive. People cannot afford, people do not have, yeah, people do not have time. For that, it's you know because life is so much you know compressed yeah. and you need to. But again, it's we're losing, and that's he said. You know, you need to travel like in Georgia. Lincoln knows about that. To find a good wrestler, you need to go some mountainous villages and found a good kid. And same about basketball. But again, now people do not have time for that. And again, that's so this is this is an interesting question. Have we has? Is it the the lack of time? The, uh, the reason why are people working so hard that their kids don't have time to play sports or is something about sports change because kids do and don't have time you could kind of slice that one either way the goal of, of some parents view sports as a vehicle to either get into a four year college or to sign a major league contract or a pro contract whatever sport basketball, football and um Unfortunately, a lot of these traveling teams promise you the world. Oh, yeah, your kid's going to play Division One ball. Well, the kid's lucky if he's going to make a high school team. And they're charging... And they're charging uh, these, these parents uh, a hefty salary. Also, uh, for baseball, uh, it, it's a hard game to play. It's not an easy game to play. It takes more than one person. Uh, basketball, you can get your basketball and go to a, go to a hoop and shoot some hoops by yourself. Baseball, you can't do that. I mean, I find that I, I, I am struck by, I almost never see people under the age of 18 playing catch oh. in, in Central Park in New York or Golden yeah. Gate Park here or something. I don't. You, don't see, you don't see it here anymore. Right. I, I stopped here, I was a little early and I stopped and I watched a, a little workout here at Rossi Park and it was, it was refreshing. It was, I, some, it was just a single coach and 
I guess he had about maybe 15 kids, and he had, had a little infield drill going. And it was really nice. I, I've never seen that in a long time. And, and I think, you know, you just talked about that. You mentioned this word, you know, Frank, that when we speak about kids, you know, nowadays kids are distracted with different, you know, just, it's a lot of amusing, you know, things. You cannot tell your son, don't do that. But on the other hand... Go play baseball. I mean, what, what strikes me about baseball is that the kids who do play are very good. Oh, yeah. You know, the middle of the bell curve, I would say, is gone. But there are kid, the kids who do play are, because, you know, that private coaching, it doesn't get you the major leagues, but it gets you pretty good. Yeah. And they have that desire. They love, right. some some kids just love the game. Um, the two kids that are at Butte College, um, they couldn't get enough. They were baseball junkies, and they didn't have the opportunity to be on an elite team. They just wanted to play, 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 play as much as possible. And I think also a challenge with baseball is that if you are a pitcher, once you get to a certain age, it's this thing of not playing. You're a right? PO. Right, it's, it's your only. Right, I know, I know, and it's, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that's right, and and it's very, and and on the one hand, which always strikes me as strange, because certainly on most high school teams, the guy who pitches also when he's not pitching, one of the best players. One of the best, he's either a right. shortstop or first base if he's left-handed yeah, or something, right? Yeah, or a center fielder. Yeah, but but also that if you really want to focus on pitching, you can't pitch. If you want to focus on being a basketball player, you can shoot free throws every day. If you want to focus on being a hitter, you take a hundred swings every day. I don't know what the equivalent of football would be, but if you want to be a pitcher, you really can't. Right? You've got to take three months a year and not hold a baseball, really. Right, right. And that's and I think for kids that's partic- particular although that's particularly difficult, but the, it's also the fastest really the fastest way to the big leagues. You know, it's it's much there's a lot more spots for pitchers than there are for catchers. Oh yeah. You know. There was a question in a pitcher is kind of factor in the game. He's he, special. He yes. controls the game. But you know which one the pitcher that's is? That's the difference between George and politics. Everybody wants to be a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, the, yeah. the pitcher, pitcher throws the ball to the batter. Yeah. Oh. So he's... The guy who's right. pitching. On the mat, right. And that is, you know, that's the game within the game because nothing happens until the batter either hits the ball or doesn't hit the ball. Yeah. Right, so the other guys... And what, what always... Well, I watch a fair amount of youth baseball, and there's an age, they get out of it, but there's an age between about 9 and 13 or 14 where most games, particularly inter-school games, one pitcher strikes out almost everybody. In other words, if, if each team, no matter how bad, there's one kid who can strike out everyone on the other team, almost. So it becomes very uninteresting. And that's why if you only play in the formal games with a coach and a uniform and an umpire, you don't really play. It's the running bases... And, and the strikeout games and the, the sandlot games where the kids get the chances. Mm-hmm. You know, the ball gets hit to them. And that's how they learn the game. And that's how they learn the game. Uh, that's again, you know, being in a familiar, and uh, I was grown up in a family. My, uh, my dad, my father was, you know, journalist writing about sports and life. I've seen a lot of, you know, celebrities in our house. Uh, and we have, you know, Tamara and I, we have, you know, son who used to practice basketball, and I, I was, you know, crazy dad, just, you know, he's now quite successful, you know, businessman, and he's, you know, at the same time DJ and this and that, he, but again, when we speak about kids, I, I've seen a lot of, you know, hugely talented, you know, kids who didn't make, you know, later, because, so you need something else, at least in Georgia. Yeah. And this, you know, the kid you talked about, maybe impressive, 
very much impressed in a lot of things, you know, pitching and this and that, and winning games, but, you know, he wouldn't make professional level, which is a different kind of psychology, different kind of, you know, physical strength, and I think it's, it's the same, same thing in, in, in politics. You need to have something else, you know, just, I don't know how to define it, but, you know, to, to, be, to become... Well, like playing sports, or, whether it's basketball or, or football or baseball or tennis or whatever, you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about life, life skills, how to take a defeat, and how to get up from that defeat. It's real important. Yeah, I, I and meant, how to keep. Yeah, I agree. Keep coming back at your goal, no matter how tough it is. I agree. I met a couple of times, and we I cannot say that we are friends, but we are. We try to communicate from time to time with, you know, Bill Russell, and uh, it's a lot of it's long story. I can talk about that maybe different times. But he said that he, you remember, he published his famous book about ten basic principles, mm-hmm. how to be a good basketball, you know, player. And out of ten, he told me it was about not only to be to become a good basketball player, but to become normal human being. Values, principles, this and that. Again, you know, sports and coaching is just about like, you know, politics is different. It's ugly, (laughs) sometimes sports, but, you know... Speaking of ugly politics, uh, Tenno, because I want to get get you back to something, you know, a little bit more... Well, yes, unfortunate realities. We have this weird, ugly, crazy election in the United States right now, and one of the more unusual pieces of this is that Russia has become an issue in American political campaign in a way that really never, other than, the, as I said before, in the realm of fiction that has before. Georgia has a different experience with Russia than the United States has and has really seen just how ugly that can be. Why don't you, could you just tell a little bit, based, you know, from your angle as a kind of seasoned Georgian diplomat, tell us about Georgia-Russia relations and what that means for your country, has meant for your country. I need to begin with quite simple and well-known in all fact, which is geographic fact. We are neighbors, Russia and, you know, Russian Federation and, you know, Georgia. It's our geography, which we cannot, you know, change, whether we love each other or hate each other or just something else that's obvious. So... Of course, you know, we need, we need, you know, normalcy, we need, you know, good neighborly relations, no doubt about that. Uh, but we have also, you know, long, long history of Russia uh, in Georgia, not only Georgia, I can talk about Ukraine, Moldova, and Russia, which used to be, as we know, when we talk briefly about that, you know, huge, you know, very atypical ugly, I would say, you know, empire, which oppressed a lot of people, and including, first of all, I would say, you know, citizens of Russia and Russians, you know, themselves. Uh, and the current Russia, after the dissolution of the Soviet Union, they, they still, and they, I mean, you know, those who rule Russia, they still want to dominate, they want still to control and these relations with Georgia, I can talk about Georgia, but it's the same with Ukraine, Moldova, and other you know, former republics, just about that. So again, uh, if we speak about, you just mentioned American-Russian relations, of course, 
these relations are very important. But at the same time, Georgia, a country like Georgia, does not want to become a thorny element of these relations. We do not want you know, Americans and Russians just to for fight, the, fight over the, Georgia because... For the people who come to this podcast because they're baseball fans, right. spell out a little bit what you mean, because they may not know the extent of the tension between Russia and Georgia. So Georgia, well, well, I, can, I can talk because it's centuries long, you know, long relations and, you know, just, well, we, I can talk, you know, a long, long time, but we can talk about, you know, current developments, you know, we, uh, maybe some at least, you know, remember that we had, you know, war in 2008 and currently Georgia is, you know, dismembered, occupied country. Russia's occupied 20% of, you know, territories. So uh, what happened to Georgia in 2008, it happened with the Ukraine, you know, just, you know, recently. But in 2008, due to different reasons, you know, the international community didn't, as I think, I may be wrong, didn't pay appropriate attention to these, you know, actions uh, of Russia, and it kind of passed away. Uh, but the outcome of these, you know, events in 2008, as I said, that we have, you know, 20%, one-third of, you know, Georgian territories, you know, just now occupied, you know, by, by Russians, and these territories are just declared as independent states, and... It's, it's a long, long story. So, you know, I, I, I was told that Russia wants to keep control over Georgia because they don't trust the Georgians with their freedom. They're, they're going to get too wild. This is what I was told. Yeah, uh, yeah, that this may be may may be case, but they, they, that's the problem at the same time because oh sure, what our Russian colleagues or neighbors, let's call them, you know, that way, should understand, and there is no return back to what used to be. No, mm-hmm. it's oh, not. No. Yeah, it's different. So Georgia now is, you know, of course, you know, Russia, huge, you know, element of global affairs, huge, you know, country. If you, one needs to look at the map, but of course, you know, Russia easily can occupy this member, you know, Georgia, Ukraine, or whatever. But will will that make Russia, you know, a secure, you know, state itself? I doubt it very much. So Russians should digest what happened. There is no Soviet Union. There is an independent, you know, Russia itself. And by the way, those who know or forget, you know, historical facts. Russia was the first among the Soviet, you know, entities, components, who declared, you know, independence. It was Russia was first, along with Ukraine and Belarus, to be correct. And, you know, they need to digest that Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, we are, you know, sovereign independent states, as well as we should, you know, take also into account and keep in mind that Russia is, you know, just an independent state. And having said that, I mean that Russia should have, and Georgia should take into account, you know, Russian interests, as well as well as Russia should take into account, you know, Ukrainian, Moldovan, Georgian interests, and it does not, this, this is globalized world, and it does not mean, you know, how big you are, and how small a country like Georgia is, you know. That's how, we need, you know, balances, and when the balances are disrupted, we have, you know, big trouble. So, I want to one of the fallouts of the end of the Soviet Union in 1991 is a lot of immigrants coming to the United States. And 
coming to cities like San Francisco. I mean, Teddo and Tamariko have both said, commented how much Russian they've heard on the streets here. You know, I know we were just out in the inner Richmond where 20 years ago you heard nothing but, no, 25 years ago, almost nothing but Chinese. And now you hear, I'm a Dan English too. And now you hear a lot of, a lot of Russian. And I and was thinking of a story when I was coaching Little League where a kid on the team had, I don't know, he hit somebody in practice, you know, and they were talking about 10-year-old kids. And the assistant coach made him sit down for 20 minutes. And, and, and then the kid's mother sent an email and basically apologizing for the, well, it wasn't a big deal, but apologizing for the behavior and saying, but, you know, I hope he can still play on the team, which, he, of course, he could. And then she said, she basically ended, and she was from a non-baseball country. She was from Turkey, I believe. And she said something to the effect of, for some reason that I can't quite understand, baseball means a lot to my son. And that, that, that's kind of a story, of, in my view, of, of baseball and immigrant America. And, and I'm wondering, you know, Frank, from, from your perspective as someone who has coached here through all kinds of ways of immigration, have, is that something that you see where people come here from non-baseball countries and the game captures them? And, and, and Ted, I've got someone from a non-baseball country, maybe you have some perspective on that too. I have three kids on, on my high school team. They're from Yemen. Um, <laughs> you're laughing. Um, Mafana immigrated when he was in the seventh grade. His cousin Fami was a year younger, a year after. And they love the game. They love the game. In fact, they got their other cousin, who's a freshman now, coming out. And, yeah, the kids from Yemen. Can you believe that? I have a lot of kids from India. I have two kids on the team from India playing baseball. What do you think draws them to it? Is it just that it's around in the culture, or is it... No, I, 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 think, I think television. I think... Uh, the highlights on the TV. I think the San Francisco Giants. Um, you know, through the years, immigration. I mean, it was a, it was a way for the Italians, when they first came over here, to get out of the Fisherman's Wharf or to get out of the uh, get out of the fishing boat if you were the Giamaggio. Right? Yeah, uh, or or stop. You know, uh, you know, being a, I guess, just a laborer. And then, and then now we have the Latin American players coming in. So you, you could see it, and, and but the game is constant, it, and it hasn't changed. I, I sound like uh, Field of Dreams. Baseball is like constant, <laughs> uh, but it, the game has evolved. But basically, it's been the same game for 150 years. And actually, on the high school level, it's probably evolved less. There's no one sitting at 500 feet. Right, I mean, it's you know you st- oh, yeah. still. I watch high school baseball. You still play a lot of station to station baseball oh, yeah. in a way that you wouldn't, you know, at the big league level. Yeah, you know, you still have to get a bunt down. Yeah, oh yeah, you know. So, but the immigration has, has played a big factor in, in major league baseball, and and even at the high school level, you know, you have new new nationalities playing the game. Yeah, does that does that do you does that raise any challenges as a coach or and and or do they, do you find their parents are befuddled by this? I mean do you have enough interaction with the parents to have a sense of that? Or they, I mean do they see it as as a as a way of assimilating it? I mean there was one of the one of the theories about in the previous episode too, we interviewed uh, the manager of the Israeli national baseball team, who was an American, mm-hmm. Jerry Weinstein. 
And one of the theories of why American Jews have been so passionate about baseball for so long is because it was a sport that had no ties to the old country. Right, Jews who immigrated here wanted to leave everything behind, and 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 you know, except of course their their religion and their culture, right. but everything about that they didn't want. And baseball was not something they played in Italy or London or Russia, you know. So it was really something new. And I'm wondering, you know, these are obviously different time, different people, but do they see this as something about they're losing their culture if they play baseball? They're becoming more American. Or are they just completely puzzled by it? Do you, do their parents understand the rules? Do they come and see them play? How does that? It, it all depends on the family. Uh, you know, it's. I have some parents, definitely, they come to the games. I have some parents that, they're working two jobs. They can't, they can't afford to give them a job, uh, games. Um, I, I, the kids that are playing, I, I don't think they're using it to assimilate into the American culture. I think they're just playing the game because they love the game. They're fascinated by it for some reason. Well, there's a lot of reasons. But. Yeah, just Frank mentioned, you know, parents and kind of, Second job for them, just awesome. I would say it's global. You, know, you we have you know football. You call them football moms and yeah, tennis soccer moms, moms, soccer yeah. moms, and and they right. just it's just really sometimes it's very just I would say mildly speaking as a diplomat, it's really vibrant. It's just about it's their second life. Right. Yes. I mean, I I took my younger son to a doubleheader. He's double. He plays in the on a team in the Bronx, we live in Manhattan, and he, we left the house at 7.30 on Sunday, Saturday morning, and we pulled in at 2.45, like, I dropped him off, you know, <laughs> at 2.45, and that's, fortunately, I love watching baseball, but yeah. if you don't, I mean, oh, it's, yeah. that's, a, that's a chore, yeah. I mean, you know. yeah. um, and I want to ask you a related question, but, so one of my favorite photographs, which a Georgian friend sent me, is a scene of a makeshift baseball game in Svaneti. Svaneti is a mountainous region in Georgia. And I can show you this photograph at some point, but there is this boy playing, you know, as a batter, and then a kid catching, you know, with kind of half of half of the mask. I mean, the mask, maybe no, no shame dark yeah. And he's got a catcher's glove on. And behind him is this enormous snow-capped mountain. And it is just this, it's a actually beautiful photograph. It was one of the ones I was hoping to use for the cover of my next book, but went with another direction instead. But, and, and so there is some baseball in, in Georgia. There's, there's not a lot. Um, and, and you've mentioned a couple times in this discussion that you really are a big basketball fan. And we've talked in previous settings about how you got, became a basketball fan growing up in what was then Soviet uh, Georgia. I'm curious how baseball was viewed in the Soviet era, in, in the Soviet Union, and how is it viewed in Georgia today, in independent Georgia today? I was, you know, born to the Soviet Union. I was, when, and I was raised, and you know, I was how 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 old when it dissolved. And from my own, you know, personal experience, I have not heard anything about baseball, you know, before Georgia became independent. Slightly during the Soviet times when I became postgraduate student of American you know, politics and I had privilege because it was about privilege to go to the library and there, there were you know, special rooms you know where not everybody was allowed to you know, go but I have a special pass to yeah we lived in this kind of country 
to poke my nose into you know, New York Times or, or just you know, uh, or Time magazine or Newsweek and just to just to see photos of course you know some strange people you know just with big stick. <laughs> uh, but but then then and then that's how it started, you know, for me at least. You know, I started reading, you know, some texts, look, these photos. But I can tell you that, uh, and it's not, it wasn't, you know, politics. But these people, we Soviets, by that time, we didn't had no idea about that well, the the game like baseball. Although there was, there's a wonderful story in the New Yorker in the late 80s, when the, towards the very end of the Soviet period, when the Soviet team came to play here, well, the Soviet yeah. baseball team. Uh, we even had the no yes, game. Yes, and, no and, and it was part of what had, the, in the story they talk about how, this is one of the lesser known chapters of Soviet history, how they really wanted to defeat the United States in, in baseball. That was not likely to happen. It was um, political. <laughs> it was political. And, and, and of course, who do they bring in to teach them? It's Cuba. Right, because there was a little island off the coast of the Soviet, you know, very far away from the Soviet Empire, where they do play baseball. What about independent Georgia? Have you? And then you know, it's it's really uh, it's I would say it's about country which used to be called Soviet Union, but it's about story how to become you know a normal individual. And I I remember one line from the very famous in the Soviet times, you know, play. And there was a character, main character, you know, just talking to the audience from the podium saying, Coca-Cola, he was repeating it, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. He said, it took us, you know, 40 years to understand that it's just, you know, soft drink. We thought it was just war, it was ideology, <laughs> it was about... So, same thing about, you know, baseball. And everything in that country is still, you know, just was, you know, politicized very much, including sports, and it was about ideology. We were supposed to defeat. The same thing about America as well. I think it was kind of... Ideology. Can I get this kind of... Sure. Maybe jump in with yeah. the direction. We're probably in the same generation. And I remember in grammar school having air raid drills jumping under the desk, neighbors building bomb shelters, and the 62 Cuban Missile Crisis. It was scary times. Too. Scary times. Very scary. But how, then, how was it in the Soviet Union I, for you as, I, I, as a I have one interesting story. I never talked about that. I talked about that with uh, American military. But how popular people, I'd like to answer the you know, question posed by Lincoln. I, I would say, I wouldn't say that, you know, baseball is now the top, <laughs> you know, just, you know, game in Georgia, but, you know, there, there is a couple of, as I heard, you know, team I even know, a very good friend of mine is president of Georgia's Baseball Federation, and he's traveling a lot, attending different, you know, this and that, you know, events. For another first pitch? Yeah, but, but... I do not know why, but I, I, that's what I know, you know, from Lincoln, that, you know, he was part, just introducing baseball to Georgians, and there's even team, and the, 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 there's kind of, and I heard that there are a couple of, you know, pitchers, by the way, Georgian, who are now quite, you know, scouts, you know, watch them, and they, they will, kind of, because they that's, will, that's, maybe we'll bring him. It's also, that's the easier skill to develop. 
absent great yeah, now, now to going to France, you know, because we lived, you know, as generation, you know, through these amazing and scary moments, but there were also, you know, funny moments for me, because I graduated, you know, Tbilisi State University, it was in a special department, Tamariko and I, she's much younger, of course, you know, than me, the Faculty of Western European Languages and Literature. And all, you know, Soviet universities, high schools, were just supposed to go through so-called military education. There were special departments, and, of course, you were in, at university, any, any place. Mm -hmm. You have to go for four years, you know, once a week. There was, you know, military education, just about this and that, and depending on, on a profession. And as far as I was, you know, just, you know kind of supposed to become expert on foreign languages, you know. Our military kind of education was about, you know, special, it, it, even the course was called special education, which was, you know, just in case of military activities. I was supposed, I sh should have the skill to write, you know, leaflet saying that Americans, for example, military, to surrender because we are surrounded with this. And we've been learning this, you know, for four years, and this and that. And in the end of, we had, you know, so-called, you know, state exams, which was, you know, that somebody from Moscow, big general, was supposed to come and attend these exams and suppose some questions. And it was, you know, four years of just, you know, this routine, and we hated it, I remember. And then it was just about, you know, three months at the boot camp, in Kutaisi, by the way, where I'm now member of parliament, chairman of foreign relations, kind of spent three years, you know, running, writing this ideas, you know, about this and that. And we have, you know, these exams, and there was Russian general, and went in the group. He also became later, you know, member of parliament. I don't know even his name was Alex, and I lost his track. And, you know, it was his turn to, you know, just to pass, you know, so-called exams, and general, who was, looked like a bit, you know, over drunk, you know, earlier at night, he was just, and he just was awakened, and he looked, ah, I like this guy, I have special question for him. It's Soviet Union, it's never lied. He said, just imagine that we are in Kutaisi here, the name of the city. Right. And you are just private Alex or Gugunawa, his name. Imagine that, you know, 82 airborne American, they're coming down. Just to, what, you know, private Gugunawa is supposed to do? You know? And his idea was that Gugunawa, he had to answer that, you know, that I'm going to write surrender and this and that, and Gugunawa are you ready for your answer? And this, you know, student said, yes, comrade, you know, general. So what's your answer? He said he made it like this with two hands to the somewhere. He said, where have you been so long, my American? <laughs> <laughs> so it was just about kind of dream of Georgians, Russians, or Ukrainians about America. Maybe, maybe, maybe baseball was part of this, you know, kind of illusion or dream uh, about the United States of America, which we still have 
my generation in our hearts and uh, try, try, just... I want to, um, because we've been talking for such a, a long time, I want to, I'm going to skip the prediction section. I want to just give you two a chance to ask questions to each other about Teddo asked Frankie about baseball. Frankie asked Teddo about Georgian politics or Georgia's international affairs or anything like that. So my, my question, of course, first of all, before I pose any question, I, I really enjoyed this conversation because I learned a lot. And thank you, Lincoln, you know, for this personally introducing me to Frank and the, this conversation which is just not only about baseball or about Georgian politics, just it's about life because life is life baseball is, baseball. is part of life. <laughs> uh, life is baseball and you know politics. Yeah. And but uh, when you meet your just you know just the newly arrived to your camp or where you're teaching a baseball Let's say how how old this kid maybe five years old or seven? No, you how old are the kids? They high school, high school, fourteen, thirteen. But let's forget about high school. But little kid, you know, like my grandson who is four years old, maybe five, six. What is your first? You know, just how you meet him? How you? What you teach him first? What are the first words? You know, you just he comes to you just to help. You it's know, very scary. I, I have I have a grandson who's going to turn five in October, hmm. October 9th, day after your elections. And um, his dad's a big Giants fan. And, and uh, Leo's pretty bright. He looks at the TV and he goes, oh, SF, they're ahead. Probably blow it. <laughs> <laughs> He's not as cynical as that we are yet. And uh, so he has an interest in baseball. Uh Beginning about five or six, they start playing t-ball, which they put a, a baseball or a, a big ball up on a, a yeah, tee, yeah. and, they, and they hit it, and coaches show them how to run and uh, where to throw the ball. And it, it's, it's just an introduction to the game. Everybody gets in that bat. Uh, there's no three outs. And, and it's, it's just a way of formally introducing... Young person into the game, and uh, after T-ball, then they advance to uh, you know, where a coach pitches to them, and, and it's it's a process. I but did you, about. when this little kid a bit scared, a bit you know shy or whatever, before you let him to 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 pitch or whatever you just yeah, Teddo just swung a bat and said to pitch. Yes. Yeah, but, but again, we don't have the images. Are there yet. something encouraging him or just you know just? Oh, you help, always you have to be positive. Yeah, you know, let's have fun. Some some may be crying, you know, just you know. Well, you won't get too many crying unless the ball <laughs> maybe hits them. I mean, the, the other thing about baseball that is, I think, different than, and more challenging than sports is that the basic skills are extremely difficult. Oh yeah, you know, to throw a ball. Properly catch to a swing ball. a bat properly to catch a ball. These are skills that are not found in other sports. So you have to. I mean, I, I'm in a mechanical side. I know that when I used to coach six year olds, I would spend an awful lot of time. I and mean, we joked about it earlier when when you gave Teddo the ball, but showing him how to grip the ball. Yeah, which is hard because their fingers aren't big enough anyway. Right. But the, just the the basic mechanics. Yeah. Because even on a tee, if you put a baseball on a tee, a six year old might take ten swings to hit it. Right. Well, my first practice was last week. I, I, I'm working these kids out twice a week now. And um, 
I tell him, I said, baseball's a real tough game. I said, uh, you're going to fail at this game. Uh, the best players in the major league hit 300. Now, that's three hits for every 10 at-bats. Well, you're failing seven out of those 10 times. So don't get discouraged uh, when you catch the ball. You're not going to be able to catch the ball right away. You're not going to be able to throw the ball right away. But you just have to keep reinforcing the positive, what they're doing, and try to correct in a positive way the negative things. And it makes for a very different kind of mental game because you can't play it with this idea of I'm going to get... With basketball, you can get to a point where I'm going to make 90% of my layups. Yeah. You know, in, in baseball, you know, you watch, you watch examples of situations where it's 3-0 against a relief pitcher and the pitcher just has to throw a strike down the middle and he can't sometimes. You know, just situ- like at that level of yeah. just the very, it's a very difficult. Or when there's a batter up and the batter's trying to sacrifice right. and the guy can't throw a strike. Right. He's giving himself up. Or the batter can't get a bunt down. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you see that not only at the high school level, the college level, but at the pro level. And the pros are the best of the best. It's a tough game. And, that, and that's another reason why a lot of kids shy away from that. You know, it's easier to throw a ball in the hoop or or get a football and tuck it under your arms and, and run like heck. Or kick a ball. Or kick a ball, yeah. And it's also, it's a, it's, I remember when I used to coach much younger kids, well, as soon as we, at nine years old, they would introduce kid pitch. Right? Seven or eight would be yeah. coach pitch, nine would be kid pitch. And I would say to the parents in the kind of beginning of the year meeting, I would say, your kid is going to strike out at some point. Because every kid on this team is going to strike out at some point. And, and we're all, and that's hard enough. To, with, for some kids but when that kid strikes out half the people there are going to cheer because all the people from the other it's no longer yeah. the coach where you're, you know yeah. and and that's a and that level of just confronting the failure there's no in many sports that moment when you're batting is a very intense individual dynamic in the middle of a very complicated team sport and that creates yeah it's a lot of individualism or individual skills in baseball but it's all geared for one goal. Hmm. How you get, how you reach that goal. Well, that's great. Yeah. So, Teto, do you have any follow-up questions? or hmm. Frank, do you have questions for Teto? Yeah, I, I have n- nothing political. Um, you have a basketball background. How did you get started playing basketball? Well, I was, it was family tradition. I, my father used to play for his university team. Really? Uh, they say that quite on a very good level, and then my my godfather, who baptized me, was you know the one of the most famous you know Soviet basketball player. He played in you know, a Soviet national team. There were two Georgians playing in Helsinki, by the way, and they played you know Bill Russell. Mm. And that's how it happened, and they, I was, you know, I remember how old I was, maybe seven years old. We started, you know, taking kids, you know, to different, you know, sports, activities. My father took me to some old coach. I, I thought that it was old, but he was much younger than I am here now. <laughs> and that's how I learned, you know, basketball, and, and that's how I, I, I'm just... 
I I I I I love you know I admire you know any 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 sports you know, I, but basketball is something you know very special. Oh, it's a, it's an absolute game. Yeah, it's, it's smart. And then I through basketball and I wrote one story published in a book you know about one American friend of mine and there is chapter about how I met you know Bill Russell and what was the reason. Uh, of this, you know, meeting because when I was a child, he was kind of like talk, talk to him about it. I told him this story that he was kind of hero of my childhood. Uh, Bill Russell was. Bill Russell, yes, of kind of I, what used to call it, you know, fairy tale because like kids, Soviet kids, you know, in the streets, you know, talking with each other. I heard this, you heard that, and one kid came by saying that ah, I heard from. It was Soviet Union. There was no way for us to hear because everything was you know, closed down. I heard that there is one basketball player by by name Russell who can reach a basketball ring with his you know, left leg. And everybody laughed, of course. How can normal person do that? And I met him first time in Cleveland. I was ambassador of Georgia to the United States and this Bob Walsh, you know, took me to Cleveland for this All-Stars in a game. And he introduced me to Bill Russell. And he said, oh, I said, you may, you shouldn't, you do not know about that, but your personal, personal, different in a fairy tales. He said, what kind of fairy tales? I said, Georgian fairy tales. <laughs> he said, what kind of tales? I said, we, when we were kids, we used to, you know, tell each other that there is one basketball player by name Russell who can do miracles, you know, to reach him. Well, I, let me interrupt if you don't mind. Bill Russell was the change of the dimension of the key because the key used to be only about three feet wide. Yeah. <laughs> and Russell was so dominant, yeah. they enlarged the key to yeah. the, the width that it is now. But what he told me, he looked at me and laughed. It's not, he said, not a fairy tale. I used to do that. Oh yeah, because he was a free, uh, high, high jump. That's right. High jumper. Or yeah. Well, well, he played up here at USF. Yeah, yeah. He was going to a time of joining, you know, U.S. Olympic teams as a high jump. So that's how it started, you know. That's very interesting. Well, Frank and Teto, thank you for joining me for what was a long and I think winding conversation, but I hope. You enjoyed it, and I hope our listeners yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you for Thank you for listening to Episode 3 of Painting the Corners. The Georgian elections to which Teto referred will occur on October 8th, so if you want to see how those went, look for me on Twitter that day. If you want to hear more of Frank's thoughts on the Giants, you can follow him on Facebook, Frank Casanelli. Teto does not use social media. Again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Lincoln Mitchell.